I just read about a college dropout worth $7.9 billion who made a fortune in a crazy tough industry, and he took a lot of beatings along the way. I'm talking about Tillman Fertitta, also known as the world's richest restaurateur, but that is an understatement, and I'm going to tell you guys why in just a second. Before we get to the show today, I got one question for you. You don't want to be a thief, do you? You don't want to steal, do you? No, you don't. No, you don't. Well, don't worry because this podcast is totally free. There's just one catch. I got one catch for you, and that is if you've listened to me before and if you like what you hear, if you like what you're reading, if you like what you're seeing on TikTok and LinkedIn and Instagram and all over, you got to smash that subscribe button right now on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and you got to leave a rating and you got to leave a review. It makes me feel good, but more importantly, that is all I ask in return for all the fire I am bringing to you. Sounds pretty good, right? I hope so. Let's get to the show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. So I'm going to tell you about Tillman Fertitta today, who is the world's richest restaurateur, no question, at least the world's richest restaurateur that owns the whole goddamn thing himself. No outside shareholders. He used to have outside shareholders. I'll give you the whole story right now. So let me tell you about Tillman. Let's rewind to the year 1976. And Tillman is just getting started as an entrepreneur. He actually starts off selling women's clothing. He's selling vitamins. He has a video game business. I think it's like a Chuck E. Cheese style video game thing he tries to do in the early days. Does a lot of things, doesn't have any home runs. And a decade later, he decides to get into the restaurant business. And he buys his way into a small restaurant called Landry's, which is a seafood restaurant, and plants the seeds of an empire. The company that Tillman owns today is called Landry's. That's his biggest property out of his portfolio, uh, which I'll talk more about. But it started as a small seafood restaurant. He bought in with some partners and then bought the whole thing for himself. And then he's about to get a gut punch because what happens is to get his business going, Tillman took out a loan for $2 million in debt. So he used a $2 million debenture to get his business up and running. And he borrowed that money from a bank. And in the 80s, there was something called the savings and loan crisis, which hit the Texas economy where where Tillman was in Houston and the whole economy goes south. It's really, really bad. And of course, this is not good for a young entrepreneur who's building, 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 and using debt to fund his growth because banks want their money back. But Tillman hits a lucky break, and that is that the bank that loaned him the money is going under. So no one's around to collect the debt. As Tillman says, the only thing that saved him is the fact that there was nobody there to call his debt. Right? I mean, if you owe me money, you owe me money. But if I'm not around to collect it, if a company goes out of business or at least is going through a very tough time, that gives you time. The other thing is that it was only $2 million, which of course is a lot of money, but for a massive bank, They've got debt out there for 10, 20, 30, 50, $100 million. Some guy who owes them $2 million is not really their first priority. So Tillman had quite a bit of time in order to use that time to build and build and build. 
And in the next few years, he uses that precious time and that precious money to build a thriving company. And I think also in that time, he most likely renegotiated his debt. And I don't have the exact details on this, but my impression from reading his book is that he renegotiates the debt and gives it extra time and probably a better interest rate and ends up paying all that money back. And then he goes on to continue building his company and he's using a classic roll-up strategy. And it works something like this. The restaurant roll-up strategy means that Tillman gobbles up restaurants for breakfast and that's how Landry's grows. He's constantly on the lookout for strong concepts in great locations. And these restaurants typically have subpar execution, which is great because it means he can fix it. So he buys a restaurant that's got a really good location. Maybe it's near the water, which is good for seafood, or maybe it's something that's in a crowded place like a Times Square or a Las Vegas. And he's able to say, okay, this is in a really good spot. There's lots of foot traffic, lots of customers. It's a decent concept, or at least it's an interesting concept, but hopefully it's a very poorly managed restaurant. Maybe they're not managing their food costs. Maybe they're not providing stellar customer service. Maybe they're not open at the right hours. Maybe their decor could use a facelift. Maybe they're not investing in CapEx. He can look at things like that and say, okay, I can fix that stuff. And the asset that I'm buying gives me a head start so I don't have to build from scratch. If you look at his portfolio, Mastro's, Bubba Gub Shrimp, Rainforest Cafe, Del Frisco's, he acquired them all. If you look at the Landry's portfolio, he didn't start any of those restaurants. I don't, I don't believe. Now, I mean, there's 500 places now, so it's possible that they've started over the years. But at the beginning, he was simply buying restaurants and turning them around. And the playbook is he buys the restaurant, He centralizes operations out of his headquarters in Houston, and he revitalizes them with the Landry's playbook, doing all those things I just mentioned. Now, as you do this more and more and more, you get better and better at it, and you can start transferring those skills. That's the beauty of a roll-up strategy. And I'm going to talk a little later on about the roll-up strategy and how you could apply it in different ways today, other companies that are applying it. But just understand that Tillman is not growing here organically. He's not starting restaurants from scratch, and he's not just relying on opening more and more locations. He's gobbling up new restaurants and doing this at a pretty rapid pace. He goes public around 1993. I think it was about a $30 million in revenue that he had. So he had $30 million in revenue when he goes goes public and the company's valued at like a hundred plus million dollars. Pretty amazing. In fact, he actually said, I went to bed one night, my head, my head hit the pillow and I'm worth like $2 million. I wake up the next day, I'm worth a hundred million dollars. That's the beauty of going public. Of course, there's a lot of downsides of going public. The upside is that you have lots of capital to grow. The downside is that then you have to answer to outside shareholders. So years and years later in around, I think of 2008 or so, he takes the company private again, buys out his investors, takes the company private, and then uses that time to expand big. And I'm going to get to that in just one second. Now, I want to talk about something before I get to the numbers. To truly understand Tillman's strategy, you need to understand that he's not really running a restaurant company. He's running a private equity company that happens to play in the asset class of restaurants. Think about that for a second. 
A private equity firm, which basically means you have a pool of capital and you're using it to make investments, and a private equity firm can invest in all sorts of things. It can invest in stocks, it can invest in bonds, you can invest in crypto, although I wouldn't recommend it. You can invest in real estate, you can invest in car washes, you can invest in software companies, you can invest in anything you want. Tillman is primarily investing in restaurants. Not only, he's doing other things also outside of the Landry's banner, but he's investing in restaurants and he's using his expertise to roll up those restaurants. And the reason it's important to understand this is because he probably could have done this in any business. He chose restaurants because he grew up in that business. He knows them inside and out. He's a phenomenal operator, but it could have been anything. He could have been investing in dairy farms. He could have been investing in car dealerships and he would have done just fine because he's got killer instincts and he knows his numbers. In fact, some other assets that he does own, he owns luxury car dealerships, he owns hotels, of course, he owns a basketball team. So it's not his only asset, but primarily he is a restaurant guy. All right, so I mentioned before, goes public in 1993, valued at $30 million. That's the revenue number, grows rapidly through acquisition. In 2010, he buys out his shareholders, takes the company private, and at this time, it's worth $1.7 billion. And today, around 2023, Landry's reportedly makes $3 billion and has net margins of 15%, which is wild. $3 billion and net margins of 15%. And if you're keeping track, that's $450 million a year in net margins. That's profit. Now, what you have to understand as well is that in order to grow and in order to fund growth as a private company, Tillman has taken out a lot of debt. And over the course of COVID-19, he was, of course, hit really hard. He's a private businessman who owns hundreds and hundreds of restaurants when all those restaurants were shut down. He let, I think, something like 40,000 employees go. He had to do that in order to stay in business. And he actually fed them. He had food stations open for all his employees in Houston at the beginning of COVID for those who couldn't afford to buy food. And At the beginning of COVID as well, he took out a really, really big loan in order to have a cushion should things go wrong. Quick break here while I tell you about something really exciting I've been working on called the Business Essentials Kit. Here's the deal. I get asked all the time, John, how do you run your business effectively? What's the best way to build a website? How do I get a branded email? How do I save on legal fees? How do I manage my social media? So what I've done is I put a kit together for you for free. You can download it at johndavids.com with all the tools and services that I use to run my business. Get it right now for free at johndavids.com. From what I understand, he never really dug into that loan. He didn't actually need it, but it was a cushion. It was a lifeline to make sure that he could stay solvent. And the reason, by the way, I'm a little wishy-washy on a lot of these numbers and timelines is because this is a private company. So a lot of the numbers I'm giving you, like the revenue number, the net margin, how much debt they have, this is all just going on Tillman's word because he has no obligation to disclose these numbers. Some other assets he owns right now, the Golden Nugget Casino, the Houston Rockets, as I mentioned, car dealerships, resorts, hotels, and more. This guy likes to buy stuff. I heard him say in an interview once, he's got 
billions of dollars in assets. He only has about $100 million in the stock market, which as a percentage of his net worth is very, very little. And the reason is because he wants to take money. He wants to have capital to buy stuff, to continue building. He doesn't want to let his money coast and let some money manager take care of it. He wants to have $700 million on hand so that if he's going to buy a resort or he's going to buy a hotel or he's going to buy a restaurant chain or he's going to buy a basketball team, he's got that capital ready to go. And I'll give you guys a quick example of the kind of financial engineering that this guy is known for. This is pretty cool. So when he bought the Houston Rockets, this is back in 2017... He paid $2.2 billion, but at the time, his company had less than $300 million of cash on hand, according to Forbes. So how did he get the money to pay $2.2 billion? One of his companies, the Golden Nugget Casino, issued bonds for $1.4 billion, meaning he took out debt, issued bonds under one of his companies, the Golden Nugget, was able to take that cash out, pay it out as a dividend to himself, and combined with some debt, some other debt, was able to fork over $2.2 billion in order to make that purchase. And because Tillman's a baller, here's actually a story I heard. I think this is a true story that Leslie Alexander, who sold Tillman the team back in 2017, Tillman said, I'm going to send you $100 million that is non-refundable. If this sale doesn't go through, that $100 million is yours. And of course, the sale went through in the end. But I guess... I guess it takes kahunas of steel to do something like that. I mean, sending $100 million over as a guarantee, just as a placeholder, non-refundable deposit. Geez, I'm pissed when I got to put down a $100 non-refundable deposit, you know? So $100 million, non-refundable deposit on a basketball team. That's a baller. And that's why I love Tillman Fertitta. Now, honestly, Tillman could have been wiped out a few times over the years. In the 80s, with that whole savings and loan bust. In 2008, when he actually took the company private, and we're talking about this you know, amazing financial crisis that wiped out a lot of companies. In 2020, with COVID, he has got serious staying power. One of his famous lines is, there are no spare customers. I actually stole that. I say it to my team all the time. But it's 100% true. Tillman feeds millions of people a year. And if you've ever dined at Mastro's, you know that he's damn good at it. And I am a loyal customer. El Paseo, Palm Springs, Mastro's. I love that spot. All right, let me tell you guys now how you could apply this model a few other ways. Now, I'm a huge fan of the roll-up model. I love what Landry's has done. I love what Tillman does. There's a whole different set of challenges that come along with buying and acquiring and integrating and merging other assets into your operation. But there are art examples of companies that have done this really, really well. So let me give you a couple examples here of companies that have done it well. Actually, before I give you the examples, I just want to put some context because I know people are going to be listening and they're going to be saying, well, John, this is interesting, but like this guy's worth $3 billion. You have to understand that Tillman was running this same playbook back when he had $2 million, back before he had $2 million. In fact, back when he owed somebody else $2 million and he could have gone under if they had called his loan back in the 80s. So Tillman's running the same playbook today at multi-billion dollars that he was running when he had negative millions of dollars. So keep that in mind. It's not like this is just for big boys. This is for little boys growing up and little girls growing up as well in business can run the exact same playbook. So one cool example of this is Mammoth Holdings, the car wash 
roll-up company that I've talked about before. I did a LinkedIn post, my second biggest LinkedIn post ever. 1.7 million of you saw that post about Mammoth Holdings, the car wash company. So what they do is they go into a small town, they buy up the biggest car wash, not a luxurious business. We're just going to buy a car wash. They will either rebrand it, or if they like the brand, they will keep that brand. Then they go around the town and they start buying up other car washes and rebranding them and cleaning them up and making them look and feel the same way. And they do other stuff as well. They put in a lot of automation. They put RFID tags onto the vehicles and they charge subscriptions. So rather than just going for a transaction, going for a car wash, leaving the car wash, going for a car wash, paying 15 bucks and leaving, They'll charge you 18, 19, 25, 35 bucks a month, whatever the price point is, and you get unlimited car washes. And of course, the higher packages mean you get more stuff with the car wash, waxing and polish and all this kind of stuff. And they have an an RFID tag so that when you pull up to the car wash, they can mix the chemicals, they can have the water all ready for you. You just pull up and drive in. You don't need any attendance. So a car wash can operate instead of having seven people, you can operate it with two people. You can have it be a 24-7 wash. So they can do all kinds of things like that. And they do all sorts of other unique things within their playbook to be able to run that business effectively. And it's a complete roll-up strategy. I think they've got about $100 million in revenue at this point, and they're operating in a number of different cities. So that's an example of a roll-up strategy in the car wash world. Let's talk about another cool example, a company out of Vancouver, Canada. Woo-woo, Vancouver. Tiny. Tiny.com used to be called Tiny Capital. I think it's called Tiny.com now. That's the website. And they own a whole bunch of really cool internet companies. So Tiny owns Dribble, which is an online, like a community for designers. They own MetaLab, which is a design agency. They own Pixel Union, which is a Shopify app company. They make uh, apps and themes for Shopify. AeroPress, which makes uh, a coffee machine. Flow, Girlboss, Designer News, which is a job board. So they've got like, I don't know, 25, 30 companies. If you go to tiny.com, you can check them out. Now, Tiny operates a little differently in that they're not hands-on operators. So this is a bit more of a Berkshire Hathaway model, which means that you're not actually buying things to fix them up and integrate them into a system. You're actually buying them because they're pretty good assets on their own. Maybe you have one or two ideas to make them a little better, but really the intention is to just buy, fold them into this umbrella company and allow them to operate with their individual management. So it's a little different from the Mammoth model and the Landry's model. In the case of Tiny, what they're doing is they're letting the asset harvest under its own ownership. They're not looking for synergies. They're not looking to create a bigger and bigger singular internet company. They're looking to have 25, 30, 50, 100 internet companies over time. So it's a little different, but again, it is somewhat of a roll-up strategy. Another example in the software space, kind of the legend, the legend of Mark Leonard and Constellation Software, the OG of software rollups. So these guys go in, Constellation Software goes in, and they buy niche software companies in really arcane areas. So they're not talking about fancy, sexy software. We're talking about software to run your construction company. 
We're talking about software to manage inventory at a dry cleaner. I have no idea if they have a dry cleaner software. I'm just saying it's boring stuff and it's mission critical so that you have the ability to increase pricing. You have the ability to ensure lock-in. People aren't going anywhere. Constellation Software really, really does an amazing job at buying smart and growing. And like I said, Mark Leonard's a legend. You can find a lot of stuff. You can Google Constellation Software and there's a lot of writing on it. And it's kind of, again, the OG of a software roll-up. Again, a bit of a hybrid, actually. So in the case of Constellation, it's a bit of a roll-up. It's also a bit of the tiny slash Berkshire model where you're not necessarily looking for synergies across the board. Constellation has different verticals they operate in. And my assumption is that within those verticals, they do look for a certain amount of synergy and operators at the lower levels, not all at HQ, but at the lower levels, they're empowered with finding targets to buy, making the acquisition, and then integrating the acquisitions. But they're not necessarily looking for everything to operate together. They're looking for things to operate together more at the lower levels. So that, that's the Constellation software model. So again, you can look at this through Landry's, through Tiny, through Mammoth, through Constellation Software. There are lots of examples of building businesses through acquisition versus building through the entrepreneurship, you know, zero to one kind of way. But I guess the thing to think about is there are pros and cons to each. So you might think, oh, well, this is amazing. I could just skip the whole starting phase and I can go straight to you know starting at step seven instead of step one or step zero. Well, the thing you have to remember is what is your personality better attuned to? Do you want to be the guy sitting in a garage tinkering and starting something from scratch? Is that where you get your buzz? Is that where you get your thrills from? Because if it is, then you want to be an entrepreneur starting from zero. Are you a really good operator? Maybe you've got 15, 20 years of corporate C-suite operating experience and you don't want to start in your basement or in your garage. You want to start with you know, a few million dollars in revenue, some profit, a bit of a team in place, a customer base, and you want to grow it, right? If that's the case, then maybe buying something and building from there is the way to go. And if you are operating a company that's growing and growing and spinning off cash, maybe a good way to grow is through acquisition. Because if you've got substantial free cash flow and you've got a great operating model, maybe a great way to expand is to start looking outside, buying, 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 because that will take you further faster. Anyhow, I could talk about this all day, but I want to say once and for all, I am a big fan of Tillman Fertitta. I'm a big fan of Landry's. I've studied it. I've read the books. I love it. What do you guys think? Let me know online. You can get me at johndavids.com. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. And if you like what you hear, smash that subscribe button. Leave a rating or review. I will talk to you guys next time.